And for the third day in a row, the testing backlog has decreased. It's a very good sign. Really good to see after days and days and days of watching it accumulate. March 29th. And we've got 66 deaths now from COVID-19 in Canada, 23 in Ontario, and 4 in Toronto. There's 39 cases in hospital in Toronto, and 18 of them are in the ICU. Um, just before we start, I think it's valuable to give a quick outline of what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to Tanya's going to take you through some headlines, um, and then talk about the, the main topics of discussion will be case projections in Ontario and BC. Um, I want to discuss um, how we need to think about things that have worked for us in the past and whether those things will be successful as we go forward. The importance of testing and tracing, um, talking about Lombardi versus Veneto, is that how you say it, in Italy? I don't know. <laughs> okay. uh, lonely deaths, risk, the risk of getting COVID-19, going out, grocery shopping, that type of thing. And we'll end with a lighter note, a joke. Tanya's found a joke for us, okay? Headlines. Okay. So it was announced yesterday or today, I'm not sure, that Ontario is limiting its gathering of people to five maximum with some exceptions for families and I don't some other groups um, but that's good because a lot of I think that will give people the power to break up gatherings in parks and things that mm -hmm. at least are happening here in Toronto I don't know about elsewhere in the province mm -hmm. you can give the peer pressure more people that are doing the peer pressuring a bit more yeah exactly yeah. and Ontario is finally starting to clear its testing backlog in a big way so today it managed to provide 7,000 results, which is almost double, not quite double, its highest um, its highest number of tests ever completed in a day. And for the third day in a row, the testing backlog has decreased. It's a very good sign. Really good to see after days and days and days of watching it accumulate. Yeah. So hopefully by the end of the week, the testing backlog will be gone. And they're saying, it, it sounds like they're more or less on track for what they wanted to be at, which was, I think, 5,000 tests a day, mm -hmm. I guess, at the end and of last week. even more than and that, you're saying. And it sounds like, well, now it seems like their new target might be 15,000, 10,000, or 15,000, something crazy mm -hmm. big, which is way more than... I mean, that'd be great. ...per capita, what they saw and, like, what they were doing in even South Korea. Like, the, the gold standard, like, that's w that's even beyond that. So that's a great sign, and hopefully... A good target. And yeah, good target, good target, good news. <laughs> but, I mean, we still have a testing backlog, so let's not get, like, too excited. I'm excited. Let's not get too I'm ahead I'm of I'm very excited. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, the federal government has a new website, public-facing website, um, tracking coronavirus cases, which is really good because at the beginning of this, their communication to the public consisted of one 
black and white bar graph with like <laughs> four bars on it and no totals and it was really pitiful and jane philpot i remember called them out very kindly on twitter uh. and said somebody needs to get on this mm-hmm. and so they did and now it's a nice website i mean there are better better websites <laughs> out there but it's much much better than what they had Okay, and that's all the headlines I have. I don't know if we missed. I'm sure we missed I was trying to stay away from my phone a bit more this weekend than I have, so maybe I missed some stuff. But (laughs) anyways, okay, case projections. So we've talked a lot about how the data in Ontario, at least, is um, pretty dismal in terms of cases because we're not testing enough we have a testing backlog not everybody we're not testing any kind of low mild symptom cases or or cases of kind of low importance that wouldn't get treated so it's hard to really do epidemiology from that kind of data set but people do it anyways and um, David Fisman from the University of Toronto has been doing some pretty basic um, epidemiology curves on the numbers for Ontario every morning. And so he's estimating that Ontario is on track to peak at about 25,000 cases. And that is a really, like, he emphasizes that that's a really like brute force kind of way of doing it it doesn't really take anything into account any changes any Mm -hmm. anything Mm. but just given our bad data (laughs) plug that into a model and it looks like we're going to peak at about twenty five thousand cases bc on the other hand looks like it might peak around two thousand cases so they're doing well for reasons that i don't totally understand but like are they doing contact tracing i don't know Hmm. maybe they are but they seem to like have more deaths than us at the beginning they seem to close everything later i thought they're going to be in more trouble but they don't seem to be so i'm a Hmm. bit confused by that and i don't know the reason as of yet but i'm sure it will become apparent Mm -hmm. and there's also an article in the star recently that kind of addressed this testing backlog and was saying that we could be missing a third or more COVID-19 cases mm-hmm. through the testing backlog. So I guess we'll find out. And today, with the record number of results being reported, we also unsurprisingly had a record jump in cases mm-hmm. of 211 cases. Mm-hmm. And of course, the news just reported the jump without reporting why it jumped. Yeah, that's the the need to. We were talking about. Oh yeah, that's the other thing we should have added to the list today was that site where they presented a better way of looking at this data. Oh yeah, Minute Physics. It's like we'll put the link in with this upload, or just go to YouTube and search Minute Physics and look for their most recent yeah. COVID nineteen from video. yesterday, I think, or the day before. And th- what they did is. They plotted the number of new cases 
on one on the vertical axis and the number of existing cases on the horizontal axis. Mm -hmm. And what you see really clearly is basically every country ends up following the same line as as so time is actually falls along a trace across the line. As soon as you see their presentation their yeah. video, you'll this will make more sense. Watch it. <laughs> what you see is basically everybody's this this thing grows in every country at the same rate, basically is what it's showing. Until and it's what's really clear is as soon as a country gets their handle on it, they bet quote unquote flatten the curve or bend the curve, you see them drop like a rock out of that line. And so it's really clear the instant that happens in the countries that are doing better than others like China and South Korea just pop out of that graph really clearly. Yeah, and so they're like the only ones <laughs> that pop out of the graph. And so that's what's missing. And they make this point in the video that what's missing from the media is no one ev like everyone just plots the data they have as if like the number of cases or they don't even plot it. They just report each day's data without mm -hmm. without putting in the context of where the line is going where the yeah. where the is it growing is it shrinking how fast is it growing or shrinking yeah and and things like saying that this like you were just saying today's largest number of cases that they reported in ontario probably is just because they're starting to clear the backlog like that's mm -hmm. not like that's a relevant piece of context that that data needs to come with like you can't just yeah. say that without like it didn't just get worse all of a sudden it's just that we actually just started counting more of the ones yeah. that were happening previously. Anyway, so this, they do, the, whoever, there's the guy who came up with this, I can't remember his name now, but he um, has a simulator thing that you can play around. You can add countries and watch it play forward and backward from sometime early in March. And you can see how different countries have progressed and dropped off. And you can see Canada on there. And so far we're still... With with exponential growth. With we're in exponential growth, which means we're basically like everybody else, except for the few exceptions that have done well. Yeah. Yep. All right. Your thing is next. Oh yeah. Right. Okay. The thing that I've spent a bit of time thinking about today was the the reason. So so really, just following up on the U.S. the rep the increasing challenges that the u.s is facing and i was thinking about what is it about their culture about them the way their country is structured and politics and everything that might be contributing to the, them being now the epicenter of the coronavirus in the world and why is it that they still can't seem to get their act together in this what's becoming more and more dire and it seemed like it seems like it might be the thing that makes them great in many ways and so good in in so many other ways which is that they have they're strongly independent they uh, you know they are rebellious they have a rebellious streak i think everyone would i don't know that's that's the impression i have when i think of the us and americans and that those things are the very things that seem to me to indicate that they they tend to push against anyone telling them what to do to some degree and and so that you have this you still i think have 
leadership in that country not understanding or at least not communicating clearly what the public needs to do and that's leading to their problems and so the idea that you know what the the idea that the, the sentence that kept running through my head as i was thinking about this was what got us here won't get us there it's even though a, a way of being a set of guidelines or guiding principles that works under some conditions can just fall apart under other conditions i feel like that's to some degree what maybe we're seeing there i guess we'll see as it unfolds more but the it just means to me what it demonstrates is a need for me anyways it's just reminding me that just because something's worked in the past or the way i've gone about doing things in the past might have been successful it's important to always be thinking is this something different is this something i have to come at with a new set of tools or do i have to learn about new tools or do i have to develop new strategies for dealing with this thing and, and for this the answer is yes uh, i mean everybody it, needs new tools we all everywhere. need new tools yeah exactly yeah so and that leads very nicely into are you did you have more you want to nope. say no nope, that's it um the harvard business review actually did an article kind of analyzing Italy's response and well, kind of everybody's response and just giving governments general advice on like how to attack a new fast moving problem like this mm. and and it has a lot of the hallmarks of like just how you the high reliability <laughs> organization mm -hmm. stuff that we talk a lot about in our household, but I guess you can Google that. But um, so one of the main things they talked about was the difference between the Lombardy region in Italy and the Veneto region in Italy. And so Veneto is... I, I have no idea if I'm saying that right, <laughs> is a neighboring region to Lombardy. And they had way fewer cases. And the theory is that even though they both shut down their regions, mm -hmm. Veneto also did really aggressive testing and tracing in case isolation. Mm -hmm. And so they're saying that one one of their points in this article is that you can't just do one thing like it takes the whole package to get this under control mm -hmm. you have to do physical distancing and you have to do testing and tracing mm -hmm. and there might have been others in that list but like it's like a package deal yeah um i I didn't like hearing that <laughs> mm. <laughs> because I think in Ontario we are not doing a good job of testing and tracing. So yeah, yeah. that I is. I didn't enjoy reading that at all. It's pretty glaring. It's a glaring misstep. I mean, uh, if if we look back on this later, and like, I don't think it's gonna, you know, if it doesn't, if things go really badly, it's gonna be that's gonna be one of the reasons that we didn't. I s you know we didn't really follow up on everyone that could have had it. Yeah, and made sure people were 
self-isolating. Maybe now that they're getting their testing ramped up. I mean, can you still go back and do it e- even if you haven't been doing it? I guess there's no reason I why mean, not. You can start doing you it You can now, start doing it. But it's it's not still better. Be relevant for cases that have already yeah, passed s- it on. started to spread, yeah. Well, I mean, the other little thing that add in here to the discussion about testing i mean there's it sounds like you were saying there's might be a global we might start to hit a global shortage of reagents oh right the type of testing that's happening michael osterholm who we talked about before Mm -hmm. he did an interview on joe rogan Mm -hmm. he just published an op-ed in the new york times Mm -hmm. basically saying like the like there will be a disaster in the u.s there we can't avoid that now but this is what has to happen right now mm-hmm. to to at least make it not a super terrible disaster. And he said mm-hmm. that test you can't rely on testing because we're gonna run out of the reagents. We're about to run out of the reagents. And I he didn't he didn't elaborate. But it sounds like right now everyone's sort of scrounging, getting the last bits mm-hmm. and then we're scaling up in Ontario, but you know, people haven't recognized yet there might be mm-hmm. not there might not be there's also new tests coming out, That's so I don't know if they might use different reagents. Well, the, there's like very exciting, I mean, it's probably too early to say because it hasn't been confirmed by anybody, but there were, there was a report to say that there was this new test, Canadian developed test, that is like a point, uh, like at the airport or at the border, you can run in a mat, like in a short period of time and is portable like you don't need to bring the stuff back to the lab somehow they do it right there uh and th- the it sounded like this report was Canadian test yeah yeah test this was the U- announced yeah that's the there's a u.s one yeah uh, but there's a canadian one too oh. there's a yeah this is um is a u of t grad was running it like is is leading it but i think it's out of it's somewhere else. We'll have to confirm that and well, dig that yeah. In. And then Abbott on Friday afternoon got FDA approval for right. their test that takes like fifteen minutes. So it feels like in the next month or so there should be some options for more rapid testing. Yeah, yeah. Which would really change the test and trace game for Ex- sure. Exactly. Fingers crossed. Mm. Okay. A sad, a sad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as COVID nineteen creeps across the U.S. and Canada and comes closer, mm-hmm. um, definitely Twitter has a lot of death announcements on it now. Mm-hmm. And there's one component of these death announcements that is particularly heartbreaking and that is a lot of the people that die from COVID-19 have to die alone Mm. because visitors aren't allowed into the hospitals and into the COVID-19 wards Mm -hmm. and it's just or even if they are allowed in the room it's like you're in full like you're fully covered like you can't touch the person Mm-hmm. Like you can maybe stand a few feet away from them and say your l- mm-hmm. last things. But a lot of people don't get last goodbyes though. Don't a lot even of get people that. It's like I think, I mean, it probably depends on how hard hit the hospital yeah, is. Yeah. In New York, they're saying now like they're just telling family members over FaceTime. Right, like, right. 
for phone calls what's going on and yeah there was a story in toronto where it was a doctor there was a doctor her husband were both i think they both worked at the hospital and their dad like her dad was in the same hospital that they both work at Mm -hmm. and passed away there and like they they described a very similar situation most like basically he died alone but they were allowed like short times in the room but they had to be fully like in their in their outfits yeah the deaths that happen from this are going to be so depersonalized it's just it's going to be very traumatic yeah yeah it's it's not going to be and it's going to be thousands upon thousands upon thousands of these yeah traumatic vignettes Mm um yeah Moving on, mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about risk for a couple reasons. Risk in contracting COVID-19 because I think a lot about risk because I am afraid of almost everything. <laughs> and so <laughs> I have to think carefully about risk so that I can cognitively overcome mm. my fears mm-hmm. that are usually baseless. Mm-hmm. And because um, Chris Hadfield did a video a couple days ago where he says that he has quite a bit of experience with Mm self-isolation, having been in the International Space Station. And Mm -hmm. so he gives his tips for self-isolation. And the first one was risk. Clearly understand the real risks that you're facing Mm -hmm. so that you know how to deal with them. And I think a lot of people are miscalculating risk. Mm-hmm. Um, so the obvious is, of course, all the people who are not self-isolating. Mm-hmm. They don't see the risk to society. They don't see the risk to themselves. Yeah. Of course, the risk to society being the biggest risk, the risk to our healthcare system. Um, that's what we're all working. And then there's also personal risk, too, although it's much lower. But then on the flip side, you have people who very much understand that it's risky and then they're getting too scared Mm -hmm. and they're getting scared of going to the grocery store and scared of eating food from the grocery store and scared of getting takeout food. And um, so I just wanted to, so I thought a bit about those risks. Mm -hmm. Um, So first there's a good article in Forbes today about is it safe to eat from restaurants and take out food? Mm-hmm. And the answer is generally yes, mm-hmm. because the virus, well, the good thing about COVID-19, as like tricky as it is, as many <laughs> things that it mm-hmm. does right for spreading, it is not a very sturdy virus. Mm. It has a lipid coat which is like very easy to dry out very easy to wreck with soap and water Mm -hmm. it's not it's not very stable Mm -hmm. and so if you if virus happens to be in your food for some reason and you eat it it's you're not going to get infected like it's just gonna get destroyed in your stomach acid right it's not going to get into your mouth and nose right um but also it would be destroyed in the cooking if process you too. It. Yeah. So it's really I mean I guess it's like if someone sneezes on your food as it's going out the door. Yeah. 
like what are the you want to be super safe you could like reheat your right food. right yeah but again if you're eating it it's not just your stomach is not a hospitable place yes um it's not a gastrointestinal virus right um and the other thing is just going out into the community so obviously that's not something that we can do a lot of because we're being asked to social isolate. Oh yeah, and before I talk about this, I should say that the risk to the health, the risks are are real. Like the risk to the healthcare system, healthcare system being overwhelmed are real. Mm -hmm. And I fully support all measures that public health are taking in terms of self-isolating. I don't think there's really any measures that I would consider too far to get this under control. Mm -hmm. It's more about how people see their own personal risk and the actual fear they feel when they go out. Like, do you get the feeling? I like, I I was I went to the grocery store for the first time during kind of the lockdown phase here, mm -hmm. and I got the feeling that people were very nervous in the yeah. grocery store. Yeah, and like I would guess that some people are avoiding getting groceries like they might yeah. be like not eating enough or not eating the best quality food because they're actually not right so they're actually risking their or own washing cleaning their food oh in ways right. that are unsafe yeah right like i've seen several things going around the internet one person said they washed their apple with a lysol wipe mm -hmm. don't eat lysol <laughs> person on twitter just mm -hmm. don't do it mm -hmm. Um, and then apparently there's another video that was showing people to wash their fruit and vegetables with dish soap, mm. which you also shouldn't eat. Mm -hmm. um, apparently it can cause diarrhea, says one food microbiologist who mm -hmm. did not care for that video. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so you don't want to be too afraid and then end up doing things that are going to harm you mm -hmm. anyways on the flip side mm -hmm. so i think in the last podcast we talked about like what is the risk of getting covid19 compared to getting in a car crash yeah to try and give us like a gut feeling of of what this is like um so i tried to do the math on this it's uh, it's extremely like based on assumptions mm -hmm. but for the assumptions that I made, the kind of the take home is that right now at the cases we kind of seem to have in Ontario at this point, it's about 30% more likely you would get COVID-19 than you would get into a car accident on any given day. Mm -hmm. But you could change those assumptions to to vary them widely but i'll just i'll just take you through what how i estimated that mm -hmm. okay so for covid19 we so i'm going to just use all nice round numbers here so we have about 1500 cases in ontario but of course that's not the cases we had today that's the cases we had you know seven to ten days ago or 14 days ago so we need to double that a couple times to get to the cases that are actually out there mm -hmm. in the community today. So if we double it three times, we get to 12,000 cases. So let's assume that there's 12,000 people out there. 
So if there's 12,000 people infected right now, and let's assume that that will double in another four days. Mm -hmm. So that means that over the next four days, 12,000 more people in Ontario will be infected. And that works out to about 3,000 new infections per day over the next four days for over all 15 million people in Ontario. Mm -hmm. So that's about 0.02% of the population that would be infected. Mm -hmm. So 3,000 infections per day in Ontario. We'll come back to this, but I think mm -hmm. you're going to talk about it. But that means that's all the people that get it. But if you're going to the grocery store, it's like some proportion of those people would get it going in the community. Some proportion are getting it from like family members in their own home. Yeah. So on. Okay. And then for the car accident portion of things, this was a bit more of a guess, but there's about 70,000 car accidents I found in Ontario in a year that have an injury or a fatality. And I'm going to assume that that accounts for about 10% of all the car accidents and that you have tons of scratches and fender scratches and fender benders and stuff that aren't counted in there. Mm -hmm. And we want to account for even the most minor car accidents because we care about even the most minor mm -hmm. COVID-19 cases. Mm -hmm. So that's about 700,000 car accidents in a year in Ontario, which works about 2,000 car accidents per day mm -hmm. compared with 3,000 infections per day. Mm -hmm. And so then those numbers can change a lot, right? So we could have 10 times that many COVID-19 cases in Ontario. So it could be 30,000 infections per day instead of 3,000 for all we know. Mm -hmm. But also we could, that number could be a lot lower because like Tillich was saying, most infections, like they're they're estimating 70 to 80 percent of infections happen in a in a household mm -hmm. right so that's the vast majority of those 3,000 infections per day happening in a home mm -hmm. with somebody who's already infected not out in the community another very large percentage of them will be happening in hospitals mm -hmm. to healthcare workers that's where there is a real risk and people are very scared mm -hmm. So just like people is much higher. So just like people who drive a lot, like drive long distances every day, they're at higher risk of getting into a car accident. The people mm -hmm. that are in the community facing probably healthcare workers the most because they're right face to face with people that have the bug and but then also cashiers and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So I think, risk. yeah, I mean, I think what it boils down to is the risk of contracting COVID-19 in a grocery store is very small and it's going to be further mitigated by you doing all the right things and mm -hmm. staying away from people mm -hmm. and wiping down your cart and washing your hands like mm -hmm. doing all those correct actions mm -hmm. also reduces the risk mm -hmm. so i think really following like going out into the community to get things you need following public health guidelines the risk of contracting COVID-19 is so small. Today. Today. But like in another two weeks, it might be... It will be, be higher, yeah. but still On the order small. of magnitude. Yeah. 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 Good. Thanks for digging out those numbers. So, yeah. yeah. So that's just kind of a gut check mm -hmm. on the risk. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I have a note here that says cancellation of operations, and I have no idea. I just added that in. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing that I just reminded of, what we were talking a little bit about, actually, but in the walk yesterday, the that the secondary kind of effects of COVID-19 and as the hospital systems prepare for an influx of patients is that they've canceled uh, initially what it sounded like was elective procedures but i think there's now reports that there's reports i mean anecdotal evidence just from people and there's people yeah from people we know and like in the newspapers people are talking about there's one woman with breast cancer that was going to get a double mastectomy that is now her operation is canceled um there's yeah, cases like that happening where people's health is going to suffer. People, w- not even without COVID-19, their health is suffering because they're not getting care, timely care. Mm-hmm. Because. Well, I mean, we're all going to get cavities because we can't no go one's to the dentist. Going, no one's going to the dentist. Yeah, that's right. It'll Ugh. be, it could be an interesting, like, I wonder how many people are just not getting other things dealt with mm-hmm. that, you know, serious health issues that would otherwise have been caught or things yeah. like that all these secondary things so that'll be a big impact too oh I, I did dig out the article in the national post i'll put the link for this this is um, where do you put these links in the description of the episode oh, okay so on the on the anchor site you if you go and look up the each each episode has a little description and in there will be any links that we talk about uh so the title this is from the national post a couple of days ago covid19 colon ontario to buy one million testing kits from leading tech firm amid backlog worries this is uh this is an audio ottawa-based company spartan bioscience the uh, ontario government is ready to purchase one million testing kits from ontario-based spartan bioscience pending emergency regulation approval from health canada a source familiar with the situation says. Hmm. So this sounds like there's other, like there's the one in the U.S. Mm-hmm. That sounds like, it sounds like there's a bunch of companies that are trying to come up with yes, quick, sure there are. quick tests. And the, yeah, this one they describe as one that can be see. Unlike existing technologies, the Spartans' devices are portable and you and could be used in airports, cruise ships, makeshift clinical, medical clinics to test for potential new cases more efficiently. Less yeah. than one hour. Has the possibility to confirm test results from the virus in less than one hour. So especially considering this, the the um, reagents, right? The if, if we stop being able to do these tests because of chemicals that we don't have access to suddenly running out for whatever reason, I think these are alternative testing methods are going to become critical. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's our whole list. Mm-hmm. Now it's just time for the joke. <laughs> this one was sent to me by my friend Suzanne again, which is great because I have to say the jokes are slowing down in my Twitter feed. <laughs> so I'm happy when they're sent to me. All right, here we go. Why does no one in Antarctica have COVID-19, Tillich? Why? Because they're isolated. Uh, <laughs> good one. That's your pun for the day. All right. That's it. That's it. Good night. Good night.